What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael Pina of SB Nation. Now, Michael, I just got done explaining to you how I changed my whole travel plans to make sure I could get to Chicago before this giant snowstorm hits. And I know you're traveling here soon. I can't wait to see you. I wish you the safest of possible travels. I've got my eyes closed on your behalf. I am nervous and anxious for you to make it here. And I hope that this incoming <laughs> blizzard does not screw you up. And here's here's where I'm going to start, though, Michael, because every year with All-Star becomes this question of, is it going to be great? Is it going to be a bust? What do we have to look forward to? And we're going to dive into some of that stuff. But I'm a little bit nervous already. I mean, first of all, the weather factor, you know how the media handles poor weather. Not well, right? It's just always, ah, griping, griping. It's cold. It's cold. And for sure, it's going to be very cold here. So that's number one. But number two, you look at that dunk contest field, it would be so, so, so much sweeter if Zion was headlining that field. I mean, it would just be absolute must-see TV. And so I think you know that could you know turn some people off. And then I think, um, you know, number three, you do have changes to the All-Star Game format, which could throw some people off and open up, uh, you know, the opportunity for griping. Same deal with the three-point contest, adding the new rules and all that could open some, you know, Twitter people just kind of like, ah, I don't want it to be this way. I want to go back to five years ago when it was better. You could really open up that whole line of argumentation. And then on top of it, you know, let's, let's be honest. There's massive shadows being cast by the recent deaths of David Stern, Kobe Bryant, Gianna Bryant, and the others on the helicopter in Calabasas. And I'm just curious, like, what is your mentality coming into All-Star Weekend this year? I mean, it just feels like it's a different kind of year. It does feel like there could be a real chance where people turn against it, or maybe it's not as fun, quote-unquote, as it usually is. Um, I know you, like me, love All-Star and are all-in and will just kind of deny that any possibility that it could be a down year. Are we looking at a down year, Michael? What do you think? I, I, as you said, I love All Star, man, and everything can always be better. So yeah, sure, Zion in the dunk contest would be. I would probably pass out watching that live in person, and I would have to be resuscitated at my seat. Um, Zach Levine even being in the dunk contest, which we've talked about, like I, the rematch of Levine versus Gordon. Uh, with Derek Jones Jr., like these are some of the best dunkers of all time, really, uh, and the biggest freak athletes in the league. So, th- like, we are missing out on that, sure. And there is some change this year, and sometimes change is a total disgrace. Like when they did the dunk contest with teams, and I can't even, I won't even go over that right now. I'm so, I'm still upset about. No, that, that was one. a that was a travesty. And, and the, don't forget the dunk contest wheel where they were spinning the wheel to do the dunk. I mean, that was a, just a brutal oh one too. So there's been some missteps on the uh, experimentation side of things, no question. But it sounds like you're still generally optimistic. Yeah, I'm. I'm I, as I've said, I'm a generally optimistic person. I think it'll go off great. This has the potential to be a meaningful and memorable uh, All-Star Weekend for all the reasons that you uh, lined out in your introduction. And yeah, I just can't wait to get there. I do wish there was no snowstorm. And (laughs) I I, I tweeted this yesterday, just let's have the the All-Star Weekend in San Diego every year. I don't understand what the holdup is, but... Off to Chicago we go. Yeah, so your mood's sounding pretty good right now, Michael. We will do another mood check when you're diverted to Nashville in a couple hours. <laughs> um, and actually, this is ominous. As we're speaking, I don't want to call it snow flurries, but we're getting the first hint of snow trickling down out of the sky. 
So, um, you know, just brace yourself, man. And like I said, I I wish the best for your travels. Now, uh, here's one thing that I think might get lost in the overall shuffle with all these side uh, storylines that we're describing. There is a real influx of new blood this year to the main game. I believe it's like eight or nine first-time All-Stars, and some of them are starting, you know, Trey Young, uh, Luka Doncic, uh, but, you know, even guys like Jason Tatum have really taken leaps this season as players, and now they're going to be in this all-star stage for the first time. And then you also have a little bit of a vacuum, just some established stars, guys like Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, who aren't going to be here. So to me, I actually think this is like almost a more important, quote-unquote, all-star weekend uh, than some of them because we're getting real infusions of young talent. And that actually extends the rising stars game too, where you've got guys like Ja Morant and Zion who we can pretty much pencil in as perennial all-stars every year going forward. Right. I mean, more or less Mm -hmm. from a popularity standpoint and just from a production standpoint, they're going to be on that level. So I I don't know. Are you with me on that? Where like this almost feels like a sea change uh, type of year where there's going to be so many new faces um, and a lot of a lot of them, frankly, are just like guys who are fun to watch play. That I, I do think it's going to have a different feel, maybe than some past years. Yeah, and it, it it is a great opportunity to introduce more casual fans who maybe were watching you know football or college football or whatever over the past few months and not really focused in on the NBA, and they get to be introduced to Zion, to John Morant, to Brandon Ingram, um, you know Bam Adebayo, guys who haven't Jason Tatum, guys who have not been uh, at All Star Weekend before, playing in the main event or in the Rising Stars Challenge or whatever it may be. So. From that perspective, it's it's good. I do think it's it's going to be kind of a potential aberration, though, for some of these guys. They might be one and done with Steph coming back, Steph coming back, Clay Thompson coming back, Kyrie, KD, all those guys that you mentioned before. But this is what we have, and I mean, it's still an incredibly talented bunch of players, and uh, we're going to get into how the teams look and all that. Um, but sure. I, I just can't wait to see how it all shakes yeah, out. Yeah, we're going to go through real quick a, a pre, uh, an event-by-event preview here for the whole weekend. And then we're going to also get to questions. And people emailed us at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com, which is some great, you know, just general NBA questions. And we're going to get to that. But before we do, uh, let's go through the weekend. Let's start at the beginning of the Rising Stars Challenge on Friday night. Now, for people who don't know, it's basically a game of first and second year players. They divide them up into the USA roster, the world roster, kind of the headliners uh, for that USA group. Uh, you know, guys like John Morant, Zion Williamson, Jaron Jackson Jr., Trey Young. Um, you look at the world roster, the headliners are, uh, you know, Luka Doncic, uh, I guess DeAndre Ayton, if you want to call him that, uh, RJ Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, and, and a few others along the way, Brandon Clark uh, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So um, do you have a pick here, Michael? Or I guess maybe give us the viewer's guide to the Rising Stars Challenge. Like, what are you going to be looking for here? Yeah, I mean, the, the most notable names uh, for sure are... I, I look at Team USA from the top and they're just totally stacked like Trey Young Zion Williamson pick and rolls are going to be terrific Jaron Jackson Jr. and uh, John Morant who are you know teammates in the regular season them playing together and hooking up um, it's going to be great I mean John Morant was kind of built for a game like this he's one of the most incredible exciting thrilling uh, violent basketball players in the league Uh, and so I just I can't wait to see the dunks that he 
unveils. Um, the uh, world, Team World, uh, is good. I mean, we have Luca. That's cool. Luca throwing lobs to Brandon Clark will be fun. Um, I think they're going to get smoked. <laughs> I think the 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 Team US Team USA is just. It's a ridiculous roster. So talented, so athletic. Um, I'm never picking against Zion Williamson for as long as I live. So, uh, yeah, that's the team that's going to win. Incredible breakdown. I mean, it does really set up to like, okay, first of all, Luca with the ankle, how hard is he going to go? If he doesn't play, which is possible because he's going to play on Sunday, or if he's like playing limited minutes or trying not to go hard or anything, this game could get really out of hand. The other thing just as a, you know, a viewer's guide note look a lot of times this game just devolves into the least defense you've ever seen and so that's why it really favors the highlight type players like guys like jaw and zion are going to do some stuff in this game that is going to blow your mind it's going to make your eyes pop out of your head i wouldn't be surprised to see trey young shoot from half court you know during like just a normal set you know we could definitely see him pulling up from like the midline um so there's a lot of uh you know different just wrinkles to watch but uh, to me, I don't know if you agree, Michael. This game always looks better on paper than it actually is in practice. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> actually, watching the game is is I'm trying to like think back to games that I've attended, and by after like you know the first or second substitution, it's just like lob after. It's like how many lobs can we watch? Um, this game has never had someone like Zion Williamson in it before, and so that's extremely exciting. Uh, it's never had someone quite like John Morant either. So from that perspective, I'm I'm super pumped. But I just remember, I think it was last year when Ben Simmons was just like running up and down and dunking, and it was like this is like the, there's no defense in the regular All Star game, but there is really no defense in the Rising Stars Challenge. And just as a footnote on this game, Michael, um, I just watched the Phoenix Suns come to LA earlier this week and go against the Lakers. And, you know, DeAndre Ayton uh, decided to sit the game out after warming up with what was termed, quote unquote, ankle soreness. I didn't even know that was a legitimate condition for the NBA. Like I thought at least had to be sprained. I didn't know that you could just not play because of a sore ankle. And certainly it didn't hurt the decision that Anthony Davis was, you know, across the way. And that was going to be probably his matchup for a lot of the night. My ankle would probably feel pretty sore if I had to play Anthony Davis. Um, let's just hope that sore ankles healed because I want to see Zion put this guy on about 10 posters and just really let him know what's going on. Let him know what a number one pick looks like. Is that too ruthless? Can I quickly cut in and just say that uh, uh, Jalen Brown played against the Houston Rockets last night? Uh, with two sore ankles and stubs. he guarded James Harden. Yeah, so. no, he was on stubs. I saw him moving around out there. I mean, he practically needed a wheelchair. Yeah, um, that was tough. Yeah, I think that my biggest hope from this game is that we get like a 45-second montage of Zion dunks and then in the background of every clip, sort of like Where's Waldo, we can see DeAndre Ayton just getting posterized. That's my number one hope <laughs> for the Rising Stars Challenge. All right, Michael, let's move on to the skills challenge and for people who don't know it's kind of a goofy event where you're passing the ball through rings and you're dribbling around and it's timed it's kind of like an obstacle course and they threw um you know a little bit of a curveball a few years ago by allowing big men to be in it it used to be kind of a guards only thing but now you've got big guys who are going to be in this event um as well as guards 
Do you have a favorite uh, pick, Michael? And just in general, like what is your skills challenge take? I'm not sure we've ever discussed it before. That's because no one has ever discussed the skills challenge until this moment in time, Ben. Uh, Um, That's fair enough. Well, here's the guys who are going to be in it. I mean, the the, the list includes Spencer Dinwiddie, Patrick Beverly, Bam Adebayo, Pascal Siakam, Jason Tatum, DeMontis Sabonis, and Chris Middleton. I believe your family member, Jason Tatum, won last year. Are you predicting a a back-to-back? I'm not. I'm actually going to go with uh, Pat Beverly. You know, he's he's from Chicago, so we have there a, a factor in his favor. Um, he's going to want to win. I mean, he won in 2015. He's an s- extremely competitive person. Uh, this event to me is kind of all about, like, who's not too cool to break a sweat? Like, who doesn't think they're too good for the skills challenge? Who wants to just have a good time? Uh, so Tatum already won it. Uh, I'm sure he's going to just go through the motions. Spencer Dinwiddie actually seemed, he won it two years ago. He seems like, uh, this is a serious thing for him, but Pat Beverly will like just, you know, bite at his ankles if he has to, to win this thing. I, I just don't see Pat not winning. Well, unfortunately, Michael, bad news, because I agreed with you on the first prediction. I have team USA over team world. And now I'm going to agree with you on Patrick Beverly as my pick for this event. Now, that being said, I think he's going to finish first or last. I don't think there's in between because I think (laughs) he's going to want this so badly that he could wind up being his own worst enemy and it could just be a meltdown for the ages and it could be kind of embarrassing and sad in front of the hometown crowd. Um, At the same time, I could just see him having already practiced this for the last two weeks and just go through the entire obstacle course like it's no big deal. It's going to be one or the other. If I have to do a backup though, and this is just like a purely biased pick. It would be pretty amazing if Pascal won this thing, don't you think? Like imagine this player who like came in so raw a couple years ago. It was like his crowning achievement on having developed himself into this all-around player who can shoot off the dribble threes and play make a little bit and handle and all this other stuff. If he winds up winning this uh, award, I almost feel like that should just grant him the most improved player trophy as well. What do you think? Pascal is a great call. That would be cool. Um, seeing someone like Bam Adebayo win, who that that would be pretty transcendent. I feel like, or even Shea Gilgis Alexander, who would like Euro step through the competition in slow motion. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have no. All the dudes who are participating here are are awesome, um, but Pat Beverly will just murder all of them to come out on top no that's a good take i mean there's no losers in the skills challenge except for all of us who are you know degenerate (laughs) (laughs) enough to watch it right all right fast forwarding to the three-point contest loaded field i think we can agree on that right um davis bertans Devontae graham joe harris uh who was last year's winner remember he upset steph curry and charlotte and you know basically ruined the whole weekend for everyone uh (laughs) buddy healed zach levine Damian Lillard, Duncan Robinson, and Trey Young. Do you have a pick? I do. So I, I was looking over the how they kind of changed the rules this year. So there's the the Mountain Dew zone where there's two racks with a green ball on each rack. And I think they're like wing extended six feet behind the arc. And those green balls count for three points. So I immediately was just like, okay, I'm going to take Dame and I'm going to take Trey. Because I feel like those two have the advantage with the new rules. And I'm going with Dame just because, you know, he's Dame Lillard. And I feel like he really wants to win this. 
and he's the best player in the competition and uh you know has a perpetual chip on his shoulder uh there's a lot of really great shooters here and guys who do have range duncan robinson has crazy range davis bertans has range but uh dame is just gonna take this i love where your mind was going with all of that um i had the exact same thought with the super long-term shot because some of these guys it's just not in their wheelhouse, right? To shoot them quickly. like, And, and it's just the, the gap in skill level between a Damian Lillard or a Trey Young or a Steph Curry on those long bomb type shots, like the comfort level is just a lot different than some even than these elite shooters who are in this competition. So I do wonder, like, did that rule change, like kind of, is it going to warp the event, right? Is it going to be like basically what decides it? It's possible. Um, you took Dame, I'm taking Trey, and the main reason why I'm taking Trey is because I've been just bashing him kind of on this podcast for like the last two <laughs> weeks, and it would just be perfect for him to come out and just like shove it in my face and be like, oh yeah, old guy, who doesn't belong here, you know, and, and kind of prove me wrong. Uh, he's got a little bit of that deep range too. He's obviously not as reliable as Damian Lillard, but he is not rapping like Damian Lillard is during this weekend, so I think he's going to be able to focus more of his attention on this comp- uh, competition and therefore pull it out. And now that we've made the most obvious predictions on this, I think it's going to be someone like Duncan Robinson who actually wins. Oh, 100%. The Joe Harris sequel right there. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. So, Michael, just as a, a quick update, I mentioned how the flurries were starting a little bit earlier. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we're about 20 minutes into the podcast now, and I can barely see across the street uh, because the snow has, <laughs> has picked up. I don't know how much it's sticking yet because I can't see, like, down to the road uh, from this particular angle. But uh, everything I've been saying about the ominous weather kind of overhanging here uh, is absolutely coming to fruition. Um, great live weather update for me i'm glad we did that um okay michael (laughs) slam dunk contest the crown jewel of all-star weekend in my uh in my eyes every year the four competitors are aaron gordon dwight howard derrick jones jr and pat Connaughton. um now as kind of we mentioned earlier hinted earlier i mean zion williamson was in this uh competition Think about the television ratings draw for that event, right? I mean, it could be millions and millions and millions of people. And I guess when I look back over like the last 12 months of like the biggest regrets from the league standpoint, like if you're Adam Silver, don't you have to make some sort of a negotiation with Zion like back during the pre-draft where it's like, look, dude, like name a price. I need you in Chicago 2020 All-Star Weekend. And if you're Jordan Brand, 
who signed Zion as an endorser, like he's going to want his own sneaker, the Air Zion, give it to him. But the, the only condition is, look, we, bro, we need you in Chicago. We need you so we can like play back those 1988 Michael Jordan highlight reels of him winning the slam dunk contest in Chicago and have Zion out there trying to do the same dunks and everything else. This just seems like such a massive missed opportunity. And I know the injury probably made it all a lot more difficult. He was always wishy-washy about whether he wanted to do it, even going back to last summer. Um, it pains me, Michael, man. I really wish this guy was in the field. And the group that we're left with, I kind of view him as the replacements. You know what I mean? It's a good crop. Like, I I won't sugarcoat it because I'm with you. If Zion was here again, it would be all time. And, like, watching Zion, I could just see Zion, like, wearing Air Jordan 1s, taking off from the yes. free throw line. Yes. Like, it would just be, it would be incredible. Um, it would be the greatest day of my life. And that would even be before <laughs> before you passed out. I think you threatened to pass out if you watch Zion live. Um, I would. That would be the, the cherry on top of the day, but the, even just the rest of the day would be amazing. And, like, Adam Silver, just, just you know, buy David Griffin a house in Bermuda or something. Like, that's that, – I, clearly that's, like, the, the number one thing that's holding it back, right? Like, if, if David Griffin was giving the okay and the New Orleans Pelicans gave their blessing, I'm sure Zion would do it. Like, he's a showman, right? I think so. He did seem weirdly hesitant about it. And um, I'm not sure if it's because he wants to keep the focus on his game or he wants to limit distractions or he wants maybe he even just wants the hype to build, Michael, because it's not like you and I are going to stop saying, hey, you know what this year's dunk contest needs? Zion Williamson. We're going to be saying that for the next 15 years. You know what I mean? Like, so maybe that's part of it, too. But alas, we have the four names that we've got. I'm with you that there's some interesting wrinkles to this group. I mean, you have Aaron Gordon and people think that he's won a dunk contest. He hasn't. He finished second to Zach Levine. And then his his next appearance was when the drone dunk went awry um, down in New Orleans. And so he's never won one. So he comes in with, you know, real motivation. He's very creative, likes to incorporate technology. Uh, you know, he thinks outside the box. You've got Dwight Howard for the throwback factor. Okay, he's, he's not quite Superman anymore. He probably doesn't fit into the tights like he once used to, but he'll clearly have a Kobe tribute ready for us. You know, kind of no question about that. And he can still jump. You know, there there's no doubt. Not like he used to, but enough where he's someone who you tune in to watch. Like, it could go great. It could go poorly. Either way, you kind of want to see what Dwight does. Uh, you've got Derek Jones Jr., who, who just vaults off the ground. I mean, it's almost like an Olympic high jump where he's long and lean, tons and tons of bounce. He's been in dunk contests, you know, going back on YouTube, basically 10 years crazy vert um i think he finished second uh either i think it was in 2017 to glenn robinson it was yeah and then the last one with Connaughton. i mean he has a crazy vert i i'm not sure he's really ready for this moment like his dunks are you know frankly not quite as impressive but he is the smallest guy he's kind of the natural underdog in this field the shortest and kind of like the least well-known so maybe the fans rally around him Uh, i guess we'll see uh, I think he went to Notre Dame, so it's almost a local connection here uh, in some ways. I'm sure there's going to be tons of Notre Dame alumni really excited to root him on in the building. I don't even know what I'm saying right now, but <laughs> those, those are your basic storylines, Michael. Uh, did I forget anything, and who's your pick? I just want to say real quick that I will never forget the look on your face after the 2017 dunk contest when Aaron Gordon had those technological difficulties, and you look like such a defeated human being, Ben. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, people, longtime listeners might remember that I was embedded with Aaron Gordon for like 72 hours before that dunk contest. I went to his practice. He had walked me through the whole thing with the drone. I love drones personally, so I was really pro-drone. I mean, obviously, I was hoping that it would go well for him, but I just wanted the drone to be the story because I thought that'd be so funny. It was like, hey, drone steals All-Star Weekend. I planned this huge, huge feature around the story, and then it just failed spectacularly. And... um <laughs> It had worked during the the practice rounds, right? Like we, everybody was on board with it being a good idea, and it just did not go how he wanted. I just felt really bad for him too, Michael. He took it so personally, and I was always hoping in the back of my mind that like he would almost rally himself a little bit and be like, you know what, it's time to go do this again because he is such a creative guy. Like he's a really really smart player. He was into the mental health app stuff years before a lot of other people. Um, and he's just a nice, nice kid. I mean, he's not even really a kid anymore, but um, I think that he deserves to be viewed as the headliner. And I think he is actually viewed as the Las Vegas favorite, the betting favorite in this one. But I might shock you by saying this. I'm not picking him, Michael. You aren't. I'm taking Derek Jones Jr. I, this guy to me has just a deeper bag of tricks. I think he's just got more springs, more bounce. He can do these weird like rotations in the air, you know, where he's like doing 720s, but the ball is going up the other way. And it's almost like a figure skater type routine or like a gymnast type routine. And I've just been hearing a little buzz like, oh, this guy's got something up his sleeve. He's going to do something no one's ever seen before. So uh, that's my pick. Derek Jones Jr., um, you know, obviously gamble at your own risk people this is not like insider information this is mostly just me speculating but uh, i'm taking Derek jones jr what about you yeah you, you stole my thunder here um oh this is I, bad I, we're agreeing across the board this is terrible yeah i wanted to pick aaron gordon just because he's never won and it's really hard to picture someone that talented to lose this thing three times like i i just going back to his epic showdown with Zach Levine, which was one of the probably the one of the three best dunk contests of all time, in my estimated opinion. Um, what are you so saying for him to, up, up there with Vince in what two thousand and then nineteen eighty eight? Those are your top three. Yeah, that that's got to be the top three. Um, and then of course, I mean, a distant fourth is Blake versus Javale McGee, which <laughs> <laughs> we can spend about two hours debating if we want to. Um, I, I don't think Dwight has a chance. Uh, you know, his last appearance was over 10 years ago, which makes me feel so old. Um, and I, know, Pat I, was, Connett, I was trying to think, like, did we have Twitter for the uh, Superman dunk It was dunk barely, barely around. Yeah. Yeah, man. They were probably still fail whaling at that point. Um, yeah, that's pretty wild. He does seem like he's got no shot. And I mean, are you with me on Connaughton, though, or do you think he's got a chance to surprise some people? So I think that whenever you're an underdog with, you know, he's a white guy. So white guy with a 44-inch vertical, not a lot of people have heard of him. The crowd could go absolutely bananas if he, I think he's going to involve Giannis, first of all. So get your, you know, the most pop, one of the most popular players in the league involved. That's points for you. I think, I'm just like guessing here. I have no inside information. But if he were to jump over all the Antetokounmpo brothers or something like that, that could win the contest. Uh, so I'm not ruling him out entirely, but he's got a long way to go. Uh, yeah. Derek Jones Jr., that airplane could, mode. That, no, could, yeah, that could win the contest, and it would win my heart. I mean, yeah, if he's jumping over Giannis, I, I'm giving him a 50. Um, 
Although I, I'm concerned, can he clear Giannis? That makes me just a little bit nervous. Like he's got balance, but I was watching his uh, his tapes of like his best dunks. Every once in a while, he'll like his specialty is like just throwing down something like out of nowhere, like you didn't expect, and it's like unusually forceful. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, is he going to be on the same level in terms of like you know almost like artistry, right? Where he's spinning and and rotating and going through his legs and all this stuff. Like I don't. Not sure he's no, got I'm, that. I, I'm with you. Derek Jones Jr. is like weightless. Um, <laughs> like he will throw it off the glass between the legs with his eyes closed and like in his sleep. Like that that could just be his first dunk and everyone else weeps and goes home. Um, yeah. So gr- gravity acts on all objects the same except for Derek Jones Jr. is, is kind of what you're saying. Exactly. And I, I, Miami was in town. Um a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago or whatever and uh, I interviewed Derek Jones Jr. for a different story and I was talking to him about uh, the dunk contest and this was before he agreed to do it and he said to me that he's never lost a dunk contest in his life and I was like you you did lose you lost in 2017 and he looks at me deadpan and he's like I didn't lose that dunk contest oh (laughs) you buried the absolute heater detail so he's basically guaranteeing a win is what we're saying yeah he's super confident um I I I would be very surprised if he actually lost this this is like what he was put on earth to do yeah I'm actually kind of surprised that he the the betting markets weren't on him a little bit more aggressively you know what I mean but um, you know, who knows on that one, if we do get a final with Derek Jones Jr. and Zach Levine, that could be, that could be special, right? Like, I mean, it could just be a situation where like, we have to get through the first round and deal with Dwight and, and deal with Connaughton before the main event. And, uh, the one thing that, you know, I, I just keep going back to like, okay, even if Jones is more athletically gifted and maybe even more experienced, there is this creativity side to Aaron. That's, that's just special. He just thinks outside the box and he, he does like, you know, dwell on these kinds of things. Like, I'm sure he's been thinking about that 2017 drone dunk for like two and a half years straight about how he can make up for it. And that's just like one thing to like not uh, overlook uh, in this entire conversation. All right, well, we made our picks for all the events besides the main event, uh, which would be All-Star, the All-Star game on Sunday. Of course, it's going to be Team Giannis versus Team LeBron. And when you're going through the drafting, I mean, Giannis picked an awful lot of Eastern Conference players. LeBron picked an awful lot of Western Conference players. Um, Team Giannis will be coached by Nick Nurse uh, of the Toronto Raptors. um, And Frank Vogel, the Lakers coach, will coach LeBron and and his team. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the coaching breakdown is something you're very interested in in digging into here, (laughs) Michael. But do you have a pick for the main game? And and I guess more importantly, like, what are you hoping to get out of this game? Is, Is there something in particular that you want to see on that Sunday? Uh, I mean, every year I want to see the guys try. Uh, you know, you want to see the flair and you want to see the, the dunks and the lobs and the crossovers and all that, which is, is terrific. Um, Let me stop I, you right there. Are we going to get a pregame speech from LeBron that, that calls everybody together and says, guys, it's time to do it for Kobe. Let's put on a show. Everyone's going to try hard this year. I'm trying hard. You better try hard. We already know Giannis is going to try hard no matter what. Is it going to be a different vibe? Can we predict that, or is that wishful thinking? Uh, that might be wishful thinking. I mean, the, the format is just designed to increase the competition, so that is in the fact it, it, that helps us get get there in terms of everyone 
you know, treating every possession not like their last, but uh, hard, going hard, uh, and on in every minute. Um, so, it, it just in terms of you know looking at the rosters and trying to pick a winner, uh, you know, common sense says Team LeBron is going to smoke Team Giannis, but I've talked myself into picking Team Giannis for one reason. I mean, they are stacked with players who are not there to have fun. These are guys who've never been in the game before, and I think they will play extremely hard from the opening tip. So Rudy Gobert, um, you know, in a normal all-star game is just, you know, basically useless. He doesn't, no one passes him the ball. He can't play defense. I think Rudy Gobert is just going to be like, I'm Rudy Gobert. I am going to protect the rim. No one is dunking. And if you have him, you have Bam, you have Giannis, who we know Giannis is going to just like go balls to the wall and annoy everybody. So if the intensity level there is extremely high, I feel like you can win the first quarter, you know, and then from there, because of how the format is set, if you have the lead after three, you have obviously this advantage going into the fourth where they add, they basically add 25 to the leading point till point tally and then whoever gets to that number first wins without a clock um i also think just like with team lebron uh you know it's ad's ad ad's hometown chicago and i feel like they're just gonna force feed him i could totally see that happening it's not working for whatever reason bam Adebayo is like locking him down in his jersey uh there's some things that could go wrong here Harden and Kawhi this is just not their format in general they're not they're not all-star players they're actual they're like regulation players um so I'm just I'm like rambling because team LeBron is probably definitely gonna win if I'm just looking at the rosters but I'm trying to talk myself into team Giannis no, I like where you're going. I'm actually on Team Giannis, too. So we almost had identical picks across the board, but it's for a different reason, Michael. I mean, I, I think your points on Kawhi and Harden and like some of their star power looking better on paper uh, than actually, you know, how hard they're going to play in reality is true. But here's why I'm on Team Giannis, all right? If you're Masai Ujiri, if you're Nick Nurse, this weekend is your ultimate opportunity to recruit. Giannis for free agency down the road, right? Like this is your absolute best chance to try to infuse him with Raptors blood and Raptors, uh, you know, love and everything else, right? So first of all, if I'm Nick Nurse, I've spent the last three months coming up with every play and every scheme and every lineup that will make Giannis feel <laughs> at home and the most comfortable that he possibly could. And you know how like in the NFL, they like pre-script like the first 15 plays or like at least they used to do that back in the 90s and 2000s. It was like a big deal. I'm pre-scripting like the first 30 plays all for Giannis. I want him setting every possible all-star game record and feeling great about himself. Um, but then even more so, like I just want to win that game because I want to teach Giannis that we see eye to eye on the importance of winning, right? Like we know he's a killer. We know he wants to go out there and, uh, you know, emerge victorious. I mean, you saw during the all-star draft how he was kind of, you know, wringing his hands because a trade that he had made last year had, like, cost him the all-star game. Like, no one else, I'm sure LeBron didn't even remember that. Nobody else really remembered it. But, of course, Giannis, like, in the back of his mind is thinking, like, man, I can't believe I lost last year's all-star game. Um, so I just think, like, your approach as an organization, if you're Toronto, first of all, you're making sure – that Pascal is just hanging out with Giannis like the whole way, right? Like you're, you're keeping them in every lineup together. You're like making sure that they go through practice in the same stations. Maybe they're next to each other uh, during the all-star media day interview process. You're just like 
making a very not subtle soft campaign of persuasion uh, to try to like win Giannis's heart and mind. And I think that you know Nick Nurse, given the the creative genius that we've bestowed upon him uh, as a uh, you know in terms of one of the, the elite coaches in the league, plus Masai arguably the most calculating executive in the entire league right now probably has surpassed Pat Riley and the others uh, in that in that category I can just see it man I, I can just see this being like the moment the tide turned against Milwaukee in the Giannis sweepstakes and now I'm just like writing fan fiction but you know I, it's a reason to tune in on Sunday night how how does the how does Nick Nurse and and everyone affiliated with the Toronto Raptors how do they treat Chris Middleton like, do they lock him in a closet? Like, what is the what is the protocol here to kind of well look? I, I think separate they, the two. I think they get greedy. It's like, why not bring Giannis and Giannis's friend? I mean, Giannis picks Middleton, the first reserve, <laughs> every year, even though he's leaving guys who are really, really much better than Middleton on the table in these drafts. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, maybe they, it is a double recruitment effort. I mean, uh, they're going to have some. Uh, holes to fill, you know, when guys like Marcus Saul and Sergi Baca kind of go by the wayside here from a salary standpoint down the road. Yeah, why not? Bring on Middleton's max, bring on uh, Giannis's max, have a big three of those two and Pascal Siakam. Uh, let's get creative. Let's see what these uh, 20, 21 Raptors can really look like. I think you go the other way. I think if it's a tie game down the stretch, you drop a play for Chris Middleton and you piss off Giannis. And you drive a wedge between Middleton and Giannis going forward. What do you think about that? Oh, so very, very interesting. So you got to make sure like the worst possible matchup is on Middleton so he doesn't come through in the clutch. <laughs> like you got to you got to ask Frank Vogel to like send the double team at Middleton, just like, you know, LeBron and KD doubled Steph that one year uh, late in the game. That's what we need. Um this is all way too mean for my guy, Chris Middleton, okay? He's earned a lot of respect this year. He's having a fantastic season. It's great to see him in the All-Star game. No one will care that he's there, uh, but it's great uh, nevertheless. All right, Michael, have we successfully previewed uh, the 2020 All-Star weekend? Every nook and cranny. Now we're going to take some questions from the Open Floor Globe. They emailed us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And Michael, you'll remember earlier this week, we were describing different ways to like fill out the all-star game rosters because of all this crazy snub talk. And so our guy, Eric emailed in and he said, look, you guys were talking about a better way to choose all-stars. I've got an even better idea. The top 10 selections for each team get picked using the current system, but the last two selections have to play their way onto the roster in a two on two round Robin style tournament. You could hold it on the Friday night of all-star weekend this year. Bradley Beal and Zach Levine would join Jason Tatum and DeMontis Sabonis in the play-in two-on-two round. Playground rules, games to 11. First game would be Beal and Levine versus Tatum and Sabonis. Second game would be Beal and Sabonis versus Levine and Tatum. Third game would be Beal and Tatum versus uh, Levine and Sabonis. At the end of the three games, the two players with the best overall scores would make the final rosters. How is this not a great idea? Fans would absolutely love it, and it gives these fringe NBA All-Stars an opportunity to put up or shut up. Eric, incredible idea. Lots of thought into the logistics and the arrangement of how it would go. Um, so first of all, I just love your creative thinking on this. Michael, thumbs up or thumbs down. Judge Pina, it's your, it's in your court. What do you think? I'm a little confused. So from that perspective, I don't, I don't love it if you have to – 
you know, if you're confusing me, a genius in every way, um, <laughs> oh, with <laughs> with your rules and and your selection process, that that might be a flaw. Um, no, I mean this is not a bad idea at all. Um, I, I I think the only real problem is that. I can see players whining about not being selected to compete in the the two on two round robin tournament. Like, there's just no way to appease everyone. So, if the the whole purpose of this is to like select all the the, the most deserving players, people will still be whining, basically. Yeah, that's true. You do just kind of like push the whiners even further down so that we have even more just embarrassing whiners. You know, like the quality of the whiner would decrease. Um, I think the real solution here is to just expand the rosters to 13 players. Um, Mm -hmm. And that would at least say, give us the opportunity as pundits to be like, look, guys, I know you're angry you didn't make it, but we even gave you an extra spot and you still didn't make it. So just like, please check back next year. Like that would be a little bit more of a checkmate type of an argument. Because right now, like, you know, some decent players do get left off because the roster size is only 12. And the real roster size being 13 now for the NBA, it's just a little weird that like the all-star roster is crunched even more. And and that goes back to like when they first made the teams, there was not 30 teams in the NBA when they first came up with the 12 uh, player roster. So it it would be just kind of logical to expand those, but uh, we'll see. All right. We got another question here coming in from Clark in Portland, Oregon. He says, Hey, Ben, I'm genuinely curious about the different styles of basketball eras and why they happen. Are they merely stylistic or are these changes in the game an actual evolution of the understanding of how to play basketball? For example, in this new era of pace and space and three-point shooting and high-point totals, is that happening because coaches have simply figured out how to play basketball better? If so, does that mean a team like the 2020 Phoenix Suns would dominate a team like the 2009 Lakers simply because they know how to run an offense better? Please enlighten me. Thank you. It's a very good question, Clark. Uh, Michael, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, take it away. Yeah, I think there's a variety of factors that, that influence evolution uh, in, in how NBA teams play and how what styles they embrace. I mean, something Brad Stevens said a few years ago on a podcast was that the very best players in the league dictate the style because everybody has to beat them. So if you had a low-post monster who couldn't be stopped— then teams that were trying to win the title would need to invest in post-defense. And that changes the rotations. That changes how they would be able to function on offense. Um, We obviously saw Steph Curry launch threes from Lord knows where and sink them at a ridiculously high rate. And so that, that... influenced other teams in a copycat league right another Um, thing to prove your point is just go back to the the peak of Shaq. right how many 300 pound galoots were there out there trying to foul him and like injure him and like keep him off the court or away from the the back uh the backboard i mean so many more than you would ever see today yeah exactly that's a great point um there are also rule changes that have happened over time you know illegal defense hand checking um that forces teams to adapt stylistically and find players who excel under those those structures. Um, I think over the past 10 years, the biggest change has obviously been analytics that have influenced the game in an extremely dramatic way. Um, you know, we know because of analytics, uh, or at least analytics confirms that it's harder to score against a set defense and that three points is more than two. So for as an example, like transition threes are going to go up 
teams are going to play faster. Um, so I think all those different factors uh, play into uh, evol- evolution as the game kind of progresses to its its. And I mean, also we should just say like. Who knows, like, if what is the absolute best way to play? You know what I mean? Like, like the 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 question here, going back to, would the 2020 Phoenix Suns dominate a team like the 2000? Like, obviously not. Like, talent is so critical in basketball, regardless. And there are some aspects of the game that are just timeless. Um, but I do think there are smarter ways to play that have been uh, created, informed, and cemented by analytics by. Uh, trial and error, and then just teams adapting to the rules. Yeah, I mean, you you hit all the key points. The rule change is a really big one, Clark. I mean, getting rid of hand checking to you know create free flowing movement on offense kind of set the table for the modern era. And then also just skill development, like Michael saying. I mean, Steph Curry is a major major driving force in, in, for everything that we know about basketball today. It was all quite different before Steph Curry came along. His ability to pull defenses out of their comfort zone, to be able to shoot at a high level despite guys in his face, to be able to shoot off the dribble. Um, it changed spacing. It changed you know lineup configurations. A lot more small ball was possible and um, everything else. The analytics point is also a really big one. Um, it took NBA thinkers far too long to realize the true value of the three-pointer and it took kind of old school coaches way too long to open their minds to the idea of like turning over large portions of their offense uh, to the three pointer. Now there were some you know teams that paved the way, like the Spurs understood very early that the corner three was a more valuable shot because you could hit it at a higher rate because it was closer. So they were kind of a you know maybe a, a trailblazing type team. People give a lot of credit to the Suns uh, for shooting lots of three pointers uh, for sure. The Rockets deserve a ton of credit for kind of baking it into their offense um, earlier than a lot of other teams did. And then, of course, the Warriors kind of came along and, you know, uh, blew the doors off everybody from beyond the arc. And, um, you know, those are that's sort of how that transition took place with those steps. But it's pretty wild that there weren't more teams experimenting with that high volume three pointer stuff earlier on. And I think it was just a case of. you know, group think, you know, people being afraid to be different. And I think one of the really cool things actually about the last 10 or 15 years is there have been some people who are willing to stick their neck out, you know, try to be different. And it has created a very competitive environment where, you know, every little bit of efficiency matters, you know, and that has actually wound up leading a lot of teams to do the copycat stuff because the most efficient approach where you're shooting tons of threes and and focusing on threes, layups and free throws um, has become so difficult to beat that you basically have to to play basketball that way. So um, as Michael pointed out, you know, the 2020 Suns versus the 2009 Lakers, first of all, if they're playing by the Lakers rules in the Lakers era, it's not even close, right? And if they're playing in 2020 rules, I actually think the talent would be able to adapt fairly well and the Lakers would 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 win that one just okay, um, you know, with, without too much difficulty. Um, but I do think that you can you know, extrapolate that conversation and say, okay, like, are these very, very intelligently designed modern offenses, if you put them in a vacuum, you know, are they operating at a higher level than any team was capable of operating at in the 1980s and the 1990s, given all the technology that they have at their disposal, given all of the, uh, you know, the the tendency analysis that these guys have going on, given how many well-honed shooters there are just the skill level of the average player being higher than it was 20 or 30 years ago 
And I, I, I think you can make a pretty compelling case that basketball is at a stronger overall position today than it was back then. Although, of course, we don't have guys who can throw entry passes or do, uh, you know, turnaround moves in the in the block like they used to be able to, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. There is some trade-off there. But I think that, um, you know, the NBA and basketball as a whole is at a more advanced state now than it was previously. Yeah, and real quick, I everything you said was really well put. Um, like, to kind of hammer at home, it, just as an example, like, Draymond Green is such a seminal figure because, you know, I use the example of a low post monster, but like everyone's looking for the next Draymond Green, someone who can, uh, who lets you play really small, who can handle the ball, who can pass, who can play with tempo, um, but also just defend extremely well. And so that's kind of what everybody's looking for right now. And so it's like there are these revolutionary figures who kind of open everybody's eyes. And then from that point on, like coaches teach young players to do, I mean, like there's going to be a lot of big men coming out, coming into the NBA over the next generation who have ball skills that they did not need to learn in the past because that's just how the game is, is going. For sure. And we're seeing it every year. There's another seven footer who can handle and shoot. And like when Kevin Durant first came along in that mold and it was like, well, you know, what position does he play? There is was, he a shooting guard? Right. Yeah, people were like really had a hard time wrapping their mind around Kevin Durant. Uh, and now it's like, you know, Pascal comes along and we're all just like, oh yeah, of course he can dribble and shoot three pointers. Like he just worked really hard at it and now he's awesome at it. And you can build your whole team around him. Uh, you see how that evolution plays out. Um, and again, that's why I think it's better for basketball because the, the more types of players who can succeed at all the necessary attributes of winning basketball, the more fun it's going to be able to be to, to watch the sport. Like if you had told us 10 years ago, a guy like Giannis was going to be leading fast breaks on the Euro step and like coming across the paint, blocking shots, like out, absolutely out of nowhere and doing the kinds of stuff that he uh, is capable of doing with his body type and with his almost like delayed uh, entry to basketball, you know, at least competitive basketball, it would have seemed impossible. And yet, you know, he's made it happen and uh, he's, he's raised himself to an MVP level. Hey, we've got a couple more questions here. And, and one of them actually does include Giannis. It's coming in from Martin and Madison, Wisconsin. He writes, Hey guys, longtime Bucks fan here. I just want to say the coverage of that game between Zion and Giannis uh, from Tuesday night a few weeks ago was very frustrating. From the opening broadcast, it was just a Zion hype fest for the entire 48 minutes, including the post-game coverage being all about Zion's one good steal, taking the ball away from Giannis. I mean, Giannis actually swatted Zion at the rim two different times, but nobody talks about that. I realize Zion's going to be a great player, the likes we have maybe never even seen before, but the kid is only 19 years old. He is far from great right now. We need to tone it down just a couple notches. Thank you. I love the podcast. So, uh, Michael, I'm not sure how you feel on this one. I kind of go the other way, Martin, I'll be honest. I don't think there's enough Zion hype yet. I have tried my hardest to hype this guy with every fabric of my being or whatever that phrase is. And he still is exceeding the hype. I mean, he's going out there with a career high the other night against the Portland Trailblazers, leaving some of their players just completely uh, at their wits end in terms of how you're supposed to stop this guy. The The level of interest in him is intense and it's real. And so I think he deserves a lot of that, that credit. Now, at the same time, Martin, I feel your pain because you don't want everyone to get distracted by the shiny new object and forget about what Giannis is doing. And I thought Giannis... 
had a phenomenal game against Zion. Welcome into the NBA, like I think we've talked about before. And, you know, I do hope that this upcoming playoffs winds up being a showcase for greater appreciation of Giannis in general, because even though he won last year's MVP, even though he's getting, you know, millions of all-star votes, I still think he gets short shrift from the media um, and certainly not from these corners, Michael. I mean, we, we, we hold down our part, <laughs> to be honest, uh, you know, to, uh, but I think that the level of tests that he could have to go through, whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's Toronto, or whether it's Boston, those are some good teams. They're going to challenge him. They're going to push him in some different ways. And more importantly, there's some really good coaches. You know, Nick Nurse, Brad Stevens, they're going to try to make life dif- difficult for him. Notable exception there was Brett Brown. I'm 50-50 on Brett Brown in terms of what he's going to be able to do against Giannis. But he has the pieces uh, to make Giannis's life difficult. So long story short, Everybody in Wisconsin, uh, I hear you. There, there can never be enough Giannis talk, uh, but don't let the Zion hype, uh, you know, kind of make you jealous because he deserves it too, just in a different way. Yeah, I agree with all that. I mean, I, I watched that game, Bucks Pelicans, and I think Giannis might have blocked Zion like four or five times, just from memory. Um, they were all incredible. I loved watching those two meet at their peaks at the rim like that's just basketball at its absolute best but also like even though Zion is only 19 years old and he's only played what like less than a dozen professional games he is already great like I I, there's like no doubt about that and what is evident to me is how teams are defending him I mean the Bucks put Giannis Antetokounmpo on him because he is such a freak. He lives at the rim. He grabs his own misses like 70% of the time. He is, he's incredible. Like he's averaging 21 points in, in 27 minutes a game, super efficient. So you watch any him play against, you know, I think you brought up the Blazers game from the other night. Like they have to have Hassan Whiteside on the floor to guard him because Carmelo Anthony would be put in the bucket every play. Like that is, this is what we talk about when, like going back to our last question about uh, revolutionary players and how they influence style. Like you need, all of a sudden you need rim protectors because Zion is going to get layups. He's going to get dunks. He is a burst of energy and uh, like he is already a great player. So what you're predicting is that rival teams are going to be signing defensive ends to try to slow down uh, Zion in five years. I don't know, is Clowney still good in the NFL or Rashawn Gary? I mean, those are the kinds of players that uh, are going to have to be brought in for the playoff stretch to try to uh, counter Zion's, you know, just kind of crazy combination of of (laughs) size, strength, and versatility. No, they're going to lobby the league to have shoulder pads, um, <clears throat> helmets, uh, take the helmet off, swing it at him. Whatever you can do to stop Zion is probably going to be entering the rulebook pretty yeah. soon. I, I wanted to make one you know, fairly serious correction to what you said there, Michael, because you mentioned how you know Coach Bud put Giannis on Zion. And I think actually for our myth-making purposes here at Giannis Inc., I think that we need to just you know rewrite that story a little bit and say that Giannis demanded the one-on-one matchup against Zion because he wanted to welcome him to the NBA and to like show him what this league is all about. It feels like a Giannis thing to do. Um, and also we know that he keeps score on, on other guys. Maybe remember he got punked a little bit during that world cup tournament. So then he came back this year and like had a dunk all lined up for the guy who punked him. And 
I could see him saying, oh, yeah, Zion, you're getting a little bit of hype. You're this physical force. Like, don't forget about me, the reigning MVP. And by the way, I'm going back to back. And by the way, I'm going to have a case as unanimous uh, in my second straight MVP season. Um, I think that I could just see his wheels turning in that manner. All right. In far less inspiring uh, conversation, here we go. Last question of the podcast comes in from Thomas. He writes, what do you think about Kevin Love's situation with Andre Drummond in the mix now? Does Kevin Love stay in Cleveland or do you think there will be more trade talk about him in the offseason? Can Cleveland even contend in the East next year if Drummond stays? And so I'm presumably he's saying contend for the playoffs, I, I would assume. Um, it's a weird fit, right? Michael, what do you think? Um, I'm sorry, I'm trying not to laugh. Um, yeah, Cleveland's trying to to trade Kevin Love, and uh, that's not going to stop anytime soon. He's clearly unhappy there. I don't think they're Andre Drummond, who uh, I think the Cavaliers had the biggest home loss in their franchise history in his first home game. Um, so well, I, it's, it all comes... Michael, I think that we could phrase that as a historic debut. <laughs> fair enough, Ben, fair enough. Um, I think Cleveland needs to... Uh, either attach a draft pick to get off this contract because nobody is going to give them anything for it or accept a similarly embarrassing package as the Pistons just did to get Drummond uh, or to, to get off of Drummond's deal. Um, that's basically where we are right now. Um, this trade to get Drummond, uh, it didn't eat up all of their cap space this summer. Um but it ate up a, a lot of it, assuming that Drummond opts into his contract. And, you know, I, I feel like that was a miscalculation because there are so many better ways for a team that's rebuilding to use cap space. You can pick up assets by taking on bad contracts. Uh, you know, they could have signed a wing. Um uh, I know this free agency class isn't great, but they could have tried to find someone with more size to kind of help uh, help uh, Colin Sexton and, and Darius Garland in, in the modern NBA, where those two are just getting pummeled every single night of the defensive end. Uh, so it's uh, it's really bleak in in Cleveland right now, and for Kevin Love's sake and for the league's sake, because I would I would like to see him in a more relevant situation. I, I like watching Kevin Love play basketball still. Uh, I still think that he can be helpful to a contending team. I don't know which team will 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 try to get him, but I hope someone does because uh, you know he's just clearly unhappy there, and Drummond is not going to be the magic elixir. Yeah, I think the the way to look at this Drummond trade, which is arguably one of the most depressing trades I've ever seen in my entire life, Thomas, is from Cleveland's side, you're basically admitting you're going to be trash next year. Um, kind of no way around it, right? Uh, you're expecting Drummond to opt in, and we know Drummond is not this like big-time impact-making player. So if you're willing to take the chance on him opting in and being one of your biggest contracts, that's your front office deciding we're not going to be able to get anybody better as a free agent. And we may just sort of be stuck with this current group that we've got. So let's just try to go make a play for, you know, a quote unquote talent and just hope that it kind of magically works out. Like, I think that's sort of the mentality you almost have to adopt here if you're a Cavaliers fan. So I think that all that stuff is happening. Those calculations are happening independent of the Kevin Love situation. Like Michael said, they've been trying to trade him for years. They're going to continue trying to trade him. 
the fact that he gets to the summer and there's one less year on that contract will make it easier to trade him, but I don't know if it's going to make it easy to trade him. And, you know, it might be a situation where they just have to decide that, look, you know, enough is enough. We just have to move on. Uh, And it winds up being kind of an addition by subtraction thing. I would say the fact that Wiggins got traded should give you a little bit of hope here, right? Because if we, you know, rewinded six months or 12 months and said, oh, is Wiggins tradable? Are you ever going to be able to move him for anything of value? Is it going to cost so much to get rid of him? Um, At that point, if you had said, yeah, you can get back D'Angelo Russell, I think obviously Timberwolves fans would have been jumping for joy. Now, of course, Kevin Love's a little bit older. He's not uh, as clean of a fit in a lot of situations. Just defensively, it's kind of tough to build around him and everything else. But I guess if you're a Cavs fan, that is your one little ray of sunshine hope here is that, I mean, nobody is untradeable and maybe a Kevin Love deal does finally materialize. I just uh, wouldn't be holding your breath for a great Kevin Love trade. And I also would not be holding your breath hoping that Drummond's going to fix things down there. I guess my advice to Cavaliers fans is to continue breathing normally because it's going to be a while. So that's uh, on that note, Michael, we have come (laughs) to the end of another open floor. Guys, email us openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. I encourage you guys all to tune into All-Star Weekend. Enjoy it. Michael and I will be back next week with a recap of all the fun. I'm sure we'll have some, you know, funny stories to, uh, you know, discuss our hijinks and horseplay here in Chicago, uh, you know, surviving this uh, winter tundra and uh, what could be an ugly dunk contest. We'll see how it goes. Uh, But hey, Michael, uh, until later this week when I'll see you in Chicago, but more importantly, until next week when we'll talk here again, I will talk to you. See you soon, Ben.